This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie lovers, get out your history books because we're talking about the post. It's all things Nixon, Watergate, and so much in the Vietnam War history. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep team up for this Oscar contender as we continue our award season run here on Anatomy of a Movie. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. What's happening, folks? How's everybody doing? Doing good. Talking movies. Talking movies. Steven Spielberg directed this one. Lots to talk about. A couple things uh, administratively for you guys. First off, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. If, uh, If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Either way, welcome. First and foremost, we are spoiler-filled. We have seen. We assume you've seen the movie. We assume you may also know history, so that kind of gives away the movie a little bit. <laughs> Nonetheless, you've been warned. And as always, if you want to follow our rundown in the description box, just click that link. It's a PDF, and you can follow along with our research and so forth as we talk about these various things. And because I gave the spoiler warning, I'll also say this. There's a great quote in this movie that says, newspapers are like the first draft of history. And we are like the first draft of talking about this movie, at least in our terms, because you guys also get to participate and comment along and give us your thoughts. And that's the beauty of all of it, isn't it? Let us begin with quick thoughts. Marissa. Um, well, okay, so I went into this film expecting a very Spielberg movie, and it certainly was. Uh, it was good. I didn't, admittedly, I did not love it, but it's a very solid film. Good acting from, you know, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, of course, they're A-list actors. And then Spielberg, I think he does a great job of telling his story and telling and showing the direction of going from point A to point B. There were some cinematography shots. I was like, oh, yeah, that's so Spielberg. Um, and then, uh, but I think there were some moments that kind of was anticlimactic for me in the, just the storing building up and then, okay, that's it. Um, that was the result and we'll definitely get into it. I like the look of it. It was saturated. It was gray, as you can tell by the graphic behind us. It's, it's a very gray, um, time period type of film. It's good. I didn't love it though. Dimitri, I actually really did enjoy this movie. I think it's a, I think it's a, well, it's a fantastic prequel to All the President's Men, and I think it also, not that there was a trilogy ever designed, but in my own mind, I mean, within the past couple of years, we got that movie Spotlight. Um, it should be no surprise that the writer of Spotlight was brought in here uh, for 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 writing Journalism. on the post because it had that journalistic um th- that 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 pro journalism that that love of journalism and research that was in here because this is what this movie's about it's a doing and he a also lot did of the pro- west wing for a number of years so right. combined that too yeah and 
you could tell, and it's really done very, I thought, very well here. This wasn't a part of history that I was familiar with. And what to me was the most fascinating is how relevant this movie is in today's society, in today's landscape, um, with with trying to suppress the press and women's uh, and women figuring into power, and I just found that so fascinating. Being that this was in the early seventies, and I love those those topics, and I really loved how it, it's well. I should say it's scary to me that if the events in this movie, The Post, didn't turn out the way that that you would hoped, things in history would be a hell of a lot different today. Uh, from starting beginning with Watergate, we wouldn't know the term Watergate if the powers that be uh, won. So I find that to be very scary indeed, uh, particularly uh, when you when you juxtapose it with today's society. The performances, I thought, were, were top-notch, from top to bottom as well. Uh, the look of the movie was fantastic. The, the detail, to me, was great, too. I loved looking at the printing press, right? You know, there's no papers today. Uh, there, you don't need necessarily a printing press to get newspapers out. A lot of it's done online. And what I really, I just appreciated going back and seeing the way papers, like the typeset, putting, like, putting those bars in, the inks, putting it down and then running off the papers. Spielberg captured that fantastically, just as well as he captured uh, these, these events and how they unfolded uh, right into what became Watergate. So I think it's monumental to note that there was a woman in charge and that this decision, this key decision, led into another major key decision which shaped and formed our history to today. Fair enough. Uh, I I overall enjoyed this movie. You know, there's a lot of comparisons sort of being made between The Post and uh, Darkest Hour. I enjoyed this movie better than Darkest Hour. Both are historical films. Um, maybe this isn't a more of a, an American movie than than a British one. And I enjoyed it. I thought I thought you know I know I did a lot of research about Watergate for a long time in high school and college, and so so I I, I like that side of. I don't like the history, but I enjoy learning about it. Can I ask you, like, was the was this? Who keeps hitting their mic? Were, by the way, I don't know. All right, was this something that you learned about too while you were researching Watergate in high school? Like, like the events that unfolded in this movie um, and in history about McNamara? Yes, but not specifically about the post. Yeah, this that, was yes. a very isolated version of it, uh, and what I appreciate about it is very kinesthetic in the sense it takes place over a couple of days maybe maybe a, a few weeks but nonetheless things are happening what i appreciate about it if you kind of track the movie Catherine's real decisions she's really only kind of makes a couple of turns and key decisions like three or four times but it's all these other players playing into that and that's what i sort of appreciated was this large scale involvement of the everyday man you know, first it's scanning the papers, then it's uh, 
Odin Kirk's character getting the papers. It's also um, Tom Hanks' character, Bradley, of doing what he does also eventually leads to this final decision that she has to make. And it boils down to that. So I, I appreciated it uh, a lot, you know. And I think um, I have not actually seen all the President's Men, but the final shot is pretty much a shot-for-shot shot remake of the beginning of that one, which is pretty cool. Oh. Um, it, you haven't seen all the President's Men? There's and a lot of research, movies. And you've researched Watergate? <laughs> There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. We'd be here all day if I told you all the movies I have yet <laughs> no, to see. No, no, but I'm just, for, for somebody who researched Watergate, I mean, All the President's Men is one of those, well, it's one of those seminal movies that comes out. And again, it's one of those two, like even when we talked about Spotlight, you know, it's a movie that you can't help but reference, but particularly in this, in this, in this bubble of history where all those, um, from a journalistic standpoint, uh, were so important to what was that quote that you said the the newspaper is the first draft of history the first draft of history and 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 how to today to how it relates to today Uh, it's just phenomenal it's very it's uncanny and scary well here's so maybe we kick it off like this um we've talked about a lot of movies that have been historic and you can check them all out in our in our library but oftentimes we debate how valid they need to be to the history. And something like this, there's a lot of people going around. In fact, um, uh, let's see. On PBS NewsHour, Goodale said that although a producer has artistic license, it should be limited in a situation such as this so that the public comes away with an understanding of what the true facts are in this case. And I think that if you're going to do a movie now – when President Donald Trump is picking on the press for fake news, you have to be as authentic as you can be. You don't want it to be fake in any way. The reason I bring that up is because the only sort of criticism of this movie is it downplays the role of the New York uh, Times, which in fact did win a Pulitzer Prize for releasing these Pentagon Papers. And yet it, the movie makes it seem like um, it was really the Washington Post that had a heavier hand in perhaps in all of this. Yeah, and you, I mean, you have to give a testament to the New York Times. They the one were the ones who kickstarted it, but it was also the Washington Post who were the ones who finished it, essentially. Um, so, and they they did play their their key role, but unfortunately, you know, the the law got the best of them because if they didn't have that, um, I forget what you, exactly what you call it, the injuncture, I guess, um, against them where they had to legally stop, they would have kept going, and it would have been called the New York Times, not the Post. So and, and that'd be a completely different film. But I did like how it did does show that because they are newspapers, it is a smaller industry. Everyone knows each other, and um, it's a it's a smaller community. But they were all working together essentially to tell the same story. Um, I, I like that solidarity in a way. Yeah, I mean, and, and to your point regarding the New York Times, I mean, and and, and the Post. The post was on the verge of just going away, and I think that's part of the. I think that's that's a key factor in this movie. There, there was a lot more at stake for the Washington Post uh, at the time than there was for, say, the New York Times. And granted, they did get that Pulitzer for releasing those papers, um, but had it not been for the Washington Post to pick up that baton, where the New York Times couldn't. Uh, 
and 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 it 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 made careers out of Bradley Graham and the Washington Post, and only boosted the New York Times as well. Uh, that to me is like where the crux of the story lies, because there really was so much at stake, you know, and. And again, that a woman who makes this decision and charges on when she's in a boardroom filled with men who are contradicting most everything that she's trying to do, and she still carries on and fights on. I I thought that that was amazing and should be looked at in today's world uh, as well. We'll 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 certainly dive in deep there. As far as my thoughts on it, it's not like they're disrespecting the New York Times. They, they have to be enemy, and they're not even enemies. They're just competitors um, simply because of the nature of the game, mm-hmm. as they say. But it's not, they're not saying the Times is evil. They just right. want to get the scoop that the New York Times is taking. And not to sort of – this is my own sort of viewpoint. But I think as things get global, I actually – really think that all these major papers, whether the Post, um, the Times, and the LA Times, and then you can spread it throughout the world, should be, because of where they're located in the ba- the backyard of wherever, should have a huge hand in sort of reporting that because it is a global effect. So the Post, as far as Washington, LA, as far as entertainment, New York, as far as the stock market, and I don't know, I can't think of other stuff. I'm, Chicago Tribune, as far as Things going on in Chicago, deep dish pizza. I don't know, but um, anyway. So I think uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how newspapers go on through the years. But since we brought up the subject of of Catherine, let's talk about her. You know, I think ultimately she wins out as a very strong woman. But it's interesting how they played her because it's not like she always has the strength to begin with, and just people are shutting her down. In that initial boardroom, yes, I get her trepidation as far as all the people not really uh, making even eye contact with her. But she doesn't step up to the plate and say her script that she's been rehearsing for days. Or right, so what did you guys take? You know, as far as her journey, um, I love Meryl Streep as an actress. I've seen so many of her films, and uh, she, she's an amazing actress. Uh, this one, I feel like, yeah, she played a quote-unquote strong woman but i don't think it's one of the stronger roles that we've seen a woman as of late uh yeah she was put in a hard position to make it such a drastic decision that could tank her entire business that her family has built um that i can understand the pressure and she did a great job showing that but the moment when she actually made the decision she was even, like, aware of it. She's like, yeah, 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 let's do it. I was like, if you're going to make such a strong decision, have some conviction behind it. And, uh, like, I love Meryl Streep, but I just didn't feel like this moment really sold as, oh, this woman's awesome. She made an amazing decision. No, she made a decision because she was being pressured. Yeah, I couldn't disagree with that assessment anymore. I felt that that scene was amazing uh, when she had to make that decision. And her character arc... Again, I thought it was it was the great bait and switch because we see her practicing that speech and she did it so strong and forcefully until she got into the meeting and she just became frail uh, and she couldn't even talk. Uh, and then that character being pressured to not make that decision that she eventually makes, that she has to 
she has to toil about, like, what am I going to do? Like, I could do something that is going to put me in ruins. That The paper is going to be gone. It's good. It could be curses for me. And I felt that that scene was the key scene. Now, I, do I let, I, Meryl Streep, I think, is a very strong actress. She's obviously the queen of Hollywood. Um, but that one scene, then I understand, okay, I get why she got nominated uh, here. To me, that scene was, well, that, that, that's the linchpin of the movie. It's, it's, it's making this decision to go forward. Everybody was against her for printing and going uh, along. And she had to fight all of those opinions uh, with the exception of Tom Hanks who wanted them to go forward and the writers the writers were certainly on her side yeah and it was this is one of those decisions that you know if it went down that way um, which we won't know it wasn't in that room but again it's one of those 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 pinpoint decisions that really changed everything and I felt that 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 scene was handled just I, I thought it's for that was my favorite moment of her performance in the entire movie mm-hmm. for me yeah you know to be honest Marissa I think what's interesting um, obviously I I want nothing but strong role models for women and so forth but I think to be honest a man in that decision would have acted in the, in the same way mm-hmm. yeah, and that's to me that's the real beauty of it it is an extremely hard decision. In a sense, you're kind of just like, all right, I just got to go with my gut and just kind of go and leave it at that. Uh, and that's what I appreciate about it is it, you know, as much as it was a, a woman making that big decision, I don't think a guy would have handled it any differently. Yeah, yeah. It's- and like, and I love strong women, and like you always hear me preach about strong characters in every anatomy show we did. But I just felt like I think I just got so tired leading up to this moment where every man was turning her down and like giving any excuse to go against her decision because it just seems like they didn't respect her whatsoever. They didn't give her enough respect that she deserved for keeping on a business that only. She got by her laurels and by being married to the man who started it. And so, like, you can just tell throughout the whole movie that the men didn't respect her whatsoever. And then to have the audacity of making her have the actual decision in the end, it was like, it just seemed really contrived. Um, and I, I know this is based on history, but just watching it, I think I just, as a woman, was already frustrated for her, and she made a decision that... Yeah, it was a big decision. It was great. It was a great moment in the film. It was a pivotal moment in the scene. But it was it was very frustrating to watch. And I think so many different factors. This is so many f- factors. I believe too, where the characters had to change, including hers. And this is something too that this movie brings up uh, that not many do. Not a, a, like journalistic movies, um, but this movie really makes a point of it. And I, and I was very fascinated by this too. Is their relationships within Washington. Her and her family's relationship with McNamara. Uh, Bradley's, it was brought up, Bradley's relationship with Kennedy. And how that can possibly sway how you write about a particular person. And the dialogue that they, that, 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 that uh, Bradley and Graham had about those relationships uh, made both characters think about Hmm. Going forward, what do I have to do? I have to change a little. And to me, that too was just one of those factors that led to her decision 
making uh, in that. And and again, it's not something that we see a lot of uh, in these movies about press and how press can be. We, we know how press can be colored, right? But it's the relationships that these that these journalists have with like. I didn't realize how close she was with McNamara. And in a sense, she was trying to uh, shield him. Maybe not, you know. But when you factor in what's happening today, it's like, of course. <laughs> it's, that's what the, the scary parallels uh, are, are, are crazy. But I'm glad that this movie brought that up. And, uh, because that is journalistic integrity. Yeah, and that's, that's what she made her crux on. Going into the IPO, they said we we have a, you know, one of our missions is to serve the American public in the best way that we can, and, you know, to to that scene of McNamara when when he's saying like this study was done so it could be understood years from now when it's all in hindsight, like okay, but no, I got I got to do what I have to do, and and I I, I sort of appreciated that um, there is that fine line between friendship and but if you're a journalist. You know, you if something is said in confidence, yeah, you kind of don't necessarily want it to taint. But if if you get wind of something else and, and unfortunately hurts your relationship, you have to. That's your job. Unfortunately, you've kind of taken that oath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think uh, yeah, you're right in that in that sense that Brad, both Bradley and her, that was ultimately their arc. Right. You know. Did you find it interesting at all within the opening of the movie? We uh, we're, we're we're taking what was it Air Force One or yep. whatever back 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 to the states back to DC and Mac they bring in that that journalist guy who talks Daniel. to Mac, Daniel and he talks to McNamara and he just shoots him the truth and McNamara goes damn it that's what I've been saying that's what I've been telling him and for like two minutes they made McNamara look like a good guy <laughs> until he got off the plane. And he totally contradicted. And they're sitting there watching and going, who are you? Uh, but I liked how, again, they, they they do this juxtapositioning of, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I can't go out publicly and say that. <laughs> like, I have to uh, I have to back my, 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 my president. I can't say what you're saying. I have to go by other means. Again, just another, it was just another subtle uh, detail uh, when you watch this movie, and there, his Bruce Greenwood's performance as McNamara was fantastic too. I thought it was very good. He, he did a really good job. Yeah. Um, as far as so, it was uh, Daniel Ellsberg, the real Daniel Ellsberg, who kind of kicked this off, and he walked out with the Pentagon Papers. Uh, and as he says in his memoir, he took a very calculated risk because his bag never got checked by security. But then again, he also didn't know the true policy of whether or not he was allowed to take papers or not. <laughs> so, um, just for future reference, if you have top secret documents, create a policy. Yeah. <laughs> right. But if they had that policy, none of this would have happened. Right. So, um, I did like that. I, I think Matthew Reese is an, an amazing actor, too. I mean, if you watch The Americans, he's amazing. He mm-hmm. plays an awesome spy. Mm-hmm. So to see him kind of play somewhat of a secretive character who who has a big secret and, you know, um, 
doing this all under the under the nose of the government. I was like, wow, this guy has balls. <laughs> like, I got to appreciate him for doing all that. Yeah. But it but it also takes a strong guy to realize that there is an issue and we need to get this addressed. If it's not coming from him, someone else has to say it. Right. And um, I, I like that he he had the nerve to have that bravery and courage to scan all those documents. Oh, take months. The patience. Take months to do this. Right. Um, you know, I applaud him. Yeah. I don't think I'd have the patience in today's day and age where the scanners are much faster. But to do it one by one and those thousands. And to also individually cut top secret off of every single page. I mean, that took... I know he, did, he didn't even use like a paper like stack a bunch no, up and use a paper cutter. Um, but but again, talking about that particular scene, and there are a couple of others. You know, it's it's when you're doing a movie about journalism, it can be tough to build suspense on certain things. We talked about that a lot in Spotlight. How do you make research exciting for two hours, right? Mm-hmm. But this movie made journalism and writing and going to the presses it made it exciting it brought a uh, it brought a sense of like suspense is he going to get out of that building with those things uh and that's another thing that i found to be engaging in this movie as engaging as spotlight was and and you know all the president's men is truly an engaging movie uh with that so uh you i appreciate trying to take something that could be considered sort of boring and you make it palpable and you make it exciting. Well, I, you know, the, they built up the stakes in a really great way um, as far as, you know, we t- continue the rivalry between the New York Times and, and them. As Bradley says, like, anyone here tired of reading the news instead of doing it? Right. <laughs> and so that, it, it just kind of set it so I get it. It, it. it wasn't meant to be funny, but it was funny as an audience member of like, yeah, you guys are just losing and get to it right um and so so i that kind of they, they did a good job of interspersing moments like that to to really get it going mm-hmm. yeah they also did a good job of just showing us the process of like whose hands the story goes to first before like once you have it written it goes to the editor once it goes to the editor right. it goes to this guy and then it goes to this guy down in press you know like it, i think they actually did a good job of showing the process of who does all the checks and balances before this before any story yeah hits the papers and, and getting the newsroom together yeah uh, it's like that's it, cool that that was yes. and something for like this is when they have to get the lawyers involvement so the whole idea of that a well a the government is against you b you can't leak anything secret that might actually damage you know the integrity and uh, safety of the American people yeah. absolutely and I also liked you know, showing the like, the competitiveness of um, this the same Pentagon paper stories like the source could be your the same which can also put you also in the same trouble as New York Times right that was a good element to be like oh this is serious mm-hmm. of what we got our hands on and, and it was such a multifaceted story uh just prior to when we went you know go time here you know you were talking about odenkirk right mm-hmm. his performance uh re- really for me too comes out of nowhere he was so brilliant in that role and but his story is different from our main story because he's the guy that 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 that's following breadcrumbs even sometimes when there are no breadcrumbs and they they 
to, to say they meet a dead end, he's in a brick wall, and it's how can I overcome this? Uh, his story was equally as fascinating in the way that he played it, both in the newsroom and outside of the newsroom. Uh, I thought were, were, was fantastic and a great thread to follow through because everything just comes together. Um, yeah. it, it was, he was great. And, and the Illinois person, as you... Yeah, Illinois. Yeah. Illinois and, and it was just the subtleties of everything, like the, him dropping the coins and then dropping the phone and having to pick it up. Like, hey, hold on, let me... I got, I got a notepad. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right, that was a painful scene to watch. I was like, oh, I'm so <laughs> glad we don't have pay phones anymore. Whew. But even you know you could the, the irony the is you could sub to, you could substitute it in a, a completely different number of ways um, in today's day and age. But but it also showed the length of that character, what he was willing to to do and go through just to find the source, of, like what his, his journalistic integrity and um, the lengths he did as a a writer as a journalist. Yeah. And it all started with a lot like like oh well I know somebody uh, let me try that. Uh, you know, and his tenacity was uh, was just very well played out. Where you were rooting for him, and if he hit a roadblock, you're like, "Damn!" <laughs> you know. Yeah. But you're right; the detail in like trying to write, it's like, "God damn it!" <laughs> I dropped. It's like it. Google wasn't around, so you actually had to go to the person that you knew. Absolutely <laughs> true. It's the old school way of finding information. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about, uh, I know it's a smaller thing, but I thought interesting enough, uh, Bradley and his wife. Because, you know, in the midst of all of this, she's just, she's just so supporting of her husband. And, you know, not even that, like, he's not even home off often. But then when he is home, he invites everybody and it's just a bombardment. And that would be bad enough. And you could say, like, okay, she's just going to be a little bit distant. No, she makes some sandwiches and so. So, you know, so let's talk about that. I'm glad you brought up Darkest Hours because that's what Tony Bradley, played by Sarah Paulson, somewhat reminded me of uh, of, uh, Evie. Clementine. uh, Of of Clementine. Clementine. You know, I mean, very supportive. Knew what her husband's world, knew her husband's world and what it meant uh, to, to to the press, but what it meant for him to be a family man. And she accepted him for who she was and all of his colleagues. Uh, Sarah Paulson, I thought, was really good uh, in that role. And she kept, in a sense, she helped keep things together for the family. Uh, yeah, in the scene where she's making him sandwiches <laughs> was really great. And it wasn't because she was ordered to necessarily. It wasn't like she was being... She was like, "Hey, these people need some food, and I'm going to be part of the. I'm going to be part of this." Yeah, she, and that's uh, when I look at the movie as a whole. That's what I meant when I said I appreciated everyone's contribution, contribution in all of this. Right, I like Sarah Paulson. She's an amazing actress as well in every freaking thing that she does. Um, such a small minor role, but also important to Bradley because you can tell that it weighs heavily on him as a person on their family. He's hardly home. And when he does home, he's working. So, but it, it also takes a strong woman to just understand what he does and um, everything that he goes through. So, I, I like that small minor role. Could have but, easily been played by someone else too. But Sarah's Sarah's just great. But here's the thing: small minor role, except for the most pivotal moment when she she gut checks him, like, "Hey, 
Listen, you have nothing to lose here, buddy. So F you if you think your head is on the chopping block. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, you can get another job. You're good. It's her right. that loses everything. He's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, she had her moment, too. But if you were going to make comparisons to Clementine, Clementine had more emotional moments with... With Winston Churchill, yeah, that I mean, were way more understanding as a wife. I think she was saying that more as a wife for a career, but not as a person. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see, I see the, I see what you're saying. I just uh, again, I always comparing them to as that emotional support, being there, understanding their husband's world and what it means, and still both characters, strong women characters, good women characters. Uh, and, and they contributed uh, amazingly. Like Churchill's wife wasn't making sandwiches, uh, but she did gut check him. She she was his so conscience, right? So and in this movie, that that's a pivotal that's a pivotal dialogue, uh, and th- that's the only like that's the parallel I'm drawing. Yeah. Uh, Paulson, hey, perhaps maybe somebody else could have played it. Um, but Paulson, uh, it was good to see her in this role, and she and she did it really well. And I bought the chemistry. Uh, more importantly, I bought I bought the chemistry. Mm, I was trying to get over the age difference, but okay, yeah, <laughs> I didn't really see the chemistry, but it was good. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. I wouldn't like categorize it as a rom com, but I saw yeah. love. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. Yeah, in all seriousness, like it's not your stereotypical, like, oh my god, I love you, you're so sweet. But it was, right. you know, right. to me, it was a far deeper and more meaningful type of love. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so I definitely appreciate that. Um, where did I want to talk about next? Um, do do do. Let's let's talk about the. Um, the board, if you will, or whatever you want to call it, the opposition. The you know we want to get the IPO, but all the the all, board, the yeah, board. The, the, the Washington Post uh, board. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's always interesting because um, at the end they like as far as the, the way they criticized Catherine for not having an intimate knowledge of the quote newspaper business. It seemed like they drew they had far less of it to begin with. Yeah, I mean, there were moments where, like, I was rooting for Catherine because she is the only woman in the room. She's clearly the smartest person in the room, but yet she doesn't have the assertiveness to actually speak up against the men. And that's so true in today's age. 75% of women don't speak up when they're surrounded by men. It's so effing true. So to when speak she up. did it, she but had she all the notes I'm not getting written anymore. down. She had moments where she was wording everything that she wanted to say before someone else said it. I'm like, come on, woman, just speak up. And that's why I was like, Meryl Streep, I love her. She's an amazing actress. And she, like, there were moments where Catherine. You can tell she was a strong woman, but she wasn't strong enough. And this was a moment where I'm like, come on, girl. If you want to get any respect from any of your colleagues, you speak up. And I think by the end, that's her arc. I, I think she becomes the woman that we, we, we at least got that glimpse of when she was practicing her speech. Because, again, you don't know who the hell she's talking to, right? At the right. beginning, you're going, But, like, wow, she had forceful. all the percentages and all the Let's, notes, so every <clears throat> information, and then it was the guy next to her saying everything word for word. And, like, well, and he, stepped, he, said. he stepped in when she just clammed up. Yeah. I, you and know, like, somebody had to. I, I was mean, rooting for I, her. I was like, this is a moment where you could have been strong. And she but she needed, at that point, she just needed a victory, right? And so, he listen, the way he looked at her 
He knew he was like they they practiced the speech together, and he wanted her to give the speech. He told and, her that yeah. you say it exactly like that. You're you're you've won. You've yeah. done it. You it's you can't make it any more perfect. You're yeah. perfect at it. So, and I don't think like at the beginning that guy uh, was that Fritz. Uh, uh, yeah, right. I believe Fritz. so. And and so. At the beginning, you really did feel that Fritz was not her major supporter, right? And confidant. He's he just sort of kind of like then like going towards the middle. You're like, oh, Fritz, you're just so letting her down. Like how how can you not support her at this really hard time? But at least at the beginning, he was like going, come on, Catherine, you have to stand up for yourself. Know that I'm always there. But he was more or less. He was not more or less. You have to stand up. You can do this. And when she cowered, you're like, oh. And I felt that that to me, okay, well, this is her journey. So that when she does finally, she 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 stands up to Arthur Parsons. She stands up to Fritz and everybody else. That to me was the victory. And that to me. And when she was in the courtroom and those women and that girl, they looked up to her. That to me, uh, that was a great moment in this movie, and it spoke volumes. And that, that, that was the interesting part as they're walking out. Uh, the New York Times is being interviewed, and she, and they're like, "Do you want to say something?" We've said enough. So it, it's it's knowledge of knowing when to say what. Yeah, and like the the knowing when not when words aren't needed. And mm. I, I loved when she did walk out because cause she was off on the side, and the the line that she parts was all woman. And right. Like I, I actually enjoyed that. That was a good shining moment for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, great scene, and the way that it was filmed too, visually, it was very. It was all women looking up to her. Yep. It's like okay, she can be a role model. Yep. In in basically at the time too, a very man's world. And you, when you talk about the board, right? We can't forget that we are talking about New York. Whether they knew about the news or how to present the news, it, that's not what they cared about. They cared about the bottom line and how we can make money, how we get the stock, how we get this IPO up. That's what their concern was: journalism, journalism integrity, pah. <laughs> Whatever. Like, how do we build this IPO? Well, that was the, you know, not not that I want to get too far into it, simply because I don't even understand it too much. But where they were going for a lower price, and uh, Catherine was actually arguing for a higher price so they can get more writers. So it was interesting in that way. You mm-hmm. would think that they would be the ones fighting for a higher initial price. Right. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, again, I don't know too much about it, so we won't go into it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, any other sort of themes that you guys want to talk about? Because I think um, I think we've touched upon a lot of them, and as we talk about the uh, behind the scenes, that'll draw out more. But um, if there's something story wise pertinent that you absolutely want to talk about, we can do it now. No, I think. All right. Um, so, since we kicked off with Kay. Um, I'll kick it off with Kay from the behind the scenes. Uh, Meryl Streep did not know that Steven Spielberg doesn't uh, rehearse <laughs> with his actors. And Tom Hanks was well aware of this, as you may imagine. And uh, he just, he didn't want to tell her. He want, But nonetheless, as you can see, they got along quite well. And it ended up working just fine. Sure. Which is funny. You would think, like, that they would... You know, Steven Spielberg's done so many movies, and, and Meryl Streep's been in the business so often that so long that you would think that she would at least know that about him. Somebody would have somebody that she, she knows everybody. 
somebody who she, she, she knows who friends with right would Seth have said Spielberg. oh yeah no, I just finished the Spielberg movie wow he's so you know he doesn't even rehearse oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you yeah it's kind of interesting but I think it just shows that she's such a veteran actress. It's like, yeah, and you might be shocked in the moment, but she rolled with it, and you, you can tell. I mean, it didn't really affect her performance. No. So. I mean, let's 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 look at this here. I mean, we are looking at the elder, some of the elder statesmen of of, of cinema today. You know, Steven Spielberg doing this for 40 plus years Tom Hanks as well Meryl Streep they've each played and directed uh, various types of movies putting these people together uh, not only does it make sense but it's a testament to their professionalism so you know that Meryl Streep is like oh no rehearsal okay well however you want Stephen and you know yeah yeah, Meryl I'm I'm sure you can handle it yeah okay but even even the cast around them again (laughs) Bob Odenkirk I mean very I don't. I don't want to call him an underrated actor, but I don't think he's. You know, he's finally getting the the praise that he. Bradley Whitford. Um, you know, he's he's been around for a long a time. Long so they're time all ever. they're all very knowledgeable and so forth, and they did quite a fantastic job all around. Every single person. And when they started, like Odenkirk too, is a comedy ish kind of guy. Right? Now look at the movies. You know, Bradley Whitford Duke. And, and you know, he always had, uh, uh, he too, uh, he was in an Aaron Sorkin. Was it West Wing or was it, I think it was West Wing that, yeah, I believe that, so. that he was in. Uh, so he's no stranger to professionalism and dialogue, <laughs> dialogue driven. But he's also played asshole characters um, before, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... But you're right. You're you're putting together these 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 these, these elder statesmen, these people who are seasoned, uh, and that that set must have been uh, well, just completely different than Ready Player One. Let's say, right? Well, interestingly enough, uh, as similar to uh, Schindler's List in Jurassic Park. Um, as Ready Player One was finishing up due to its long post process. Um, Spielberg intercut his time between shooting this and essentially finishing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, furthermore, to the point uh, that we've hit upon of how it's very similar to today's day and age, St- Spielberg felt very much the same way. And so he wanted to get this movie out as quickly as possible. And in fact, from pre production, shooting to post, nine months. That's incredible. It's a humongous fast turnaround for him. Considering he had shot Ready Player One first, working on special effects, he didn't need another project, but when he read about the project, he was like, fine. Meryl Streep was pretty much on board before even Spielberg was. But the mere fact that Steve... Like, where do they find the hours in the day? (laughs) Is... and, And then having to do... Special effects for Ready Player One, which looks like it'll be just gorgeous, but you know, effects driven, much like Jurassic as opposed to Schindler's List. Um, it's it's crazy, and and he wasn't even thinking about doing that movie, um, and, and until he found this story and Liz's writing, uh, premise and critical study, a uh, beautiful personal portrait of. Graham got me to say, I might be crazy, but I think I'm going to make another movie right now. <laughs> and all it took for him like was that seed of a story. Uh, and, and you're right. I think the timing probably helped, too, of, of 
this story in today's world. And it's Spielberg, you know. And the, the, to me, the more amazing part is like, you know, yeah, he he did the movie and it's complete. But the artistry that that really is behind it, and we'll we'll sort of break that down in terms of the editing and the production of it. That's amazing. It really is an Oscar-worthy movie. Yeah, and he was in Italy. Um, Christy uh, Makosko Krieger has worked with Spielberg for for a couple of decades now. She goes, we just turned everything around in a day. I called everybody and said, let's wrap it up in Italy. We're going to make a movie in New York in 11 weeks. (laughs) 11 weeks, you're bringing this crew over. Um, But he's pulled it off, and you're right. I mean, it's the man's imagination and visual artistry of storytelling is really unparalleled. There's only people like Martin Scorsese. I mean, they're all within this certain... I mean, they all sort of came up together. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just... Uh, the artistry of it all is, 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 is amazing. And at his, at, at his age, too, uh, you know, that he keeps on going. And it's just uh, what he's done. Well, what, it's amazing. What I appreciate about him is, I mean, at this point, he's done. He a he has the experience. B, I don't know, at a certain age point, like you do things to prevent yourself from being bored. I don't know. <laughs> I'm only speculating. At least for me, that's how I. And so, um, I've I've seen multiple like behind the scenes where he's he's shooting one thing, but he's already telling them how to set up the next thing. Right. And boom, 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 and that's how he's able to just. Just be so fast. Yeah, you know, right. Marissa- and, and Spielberg has an amazing documentary. That's, yeah, out on HBO. I, right. we, we were talking about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, it's amazing. And like Spielberg, he's just such an uh, a director. Director, like he has a vision. He is a visual director. Where I mean, we talked about it when we were doing third. Close Encounter in the Third Kinds. Right. Like, he has such an eye for detail, and he just knows how things are going to flow from one thing to the next. So to turn around an entire movie from beginning to end in nine months is like, yeah, that's Spielberg. Because he just knows how everything's going to flow. Um, and, and, like, that's just the artist that he is. Like, mm-hmm. he can tell a story and put it, put a puzzle together so quick. Um, you, you know, you have to plot him, and he's done it for years. He's the reason why we have the word blockbuster. Yeah, Come absolutely. Um, and I, I, if you haven't seen the documentary, go check it out. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's literally HBO. called Spielberg. Yeah, I know, HBO On Demand, if you have HBO. Yeah, but yeah, fantastic. I was going to mention how you and I were talking uh, at some length about that documentary, because you do get an, into, an, into an insight as to how the man works. But, you know, just to get into a little bit of his history, you know, starting... By doing TV, uh, whether it was Hitchcock, you know, presents and whatnot, and and making his leap into movies, and and the way his thought processes and how to put a camera and where to put it and how he visually tracks things, which is great. Um, it's 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 a dynamic, and it's one that uh, I, you know it's it's hard pressed that we'll ever see. Uh, I'm glad that he continues to make movies. Uh, you know, I was particularly thrilled to death that he was doing Ready Player One because that's such. I wanted a throwback Spielberg movie, and that the book is a throwback Spielberg book, <laughs> so to speak, story wise. Um, and then when you look at what he can do with Lincoln, right? And then when you look, he'll do Ready Player One, or, or and then he'll do The Post, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. Munich, uh, and 
for the for the longest time he couldn't get his due because everybody thought, oh, he ruined cinema with movies like Jaws and Close Encounters. Uh, and then when he tries to be serious, oh, he can't handle the color purple. Uh, you know, there was criticism all his life pretty much up until people started paying more attention in Jurassic Park and then, of course, Schindler's List. He'd been nominated. He was like the Susan Lucci. He'd be nominated. His movies would be nominated. Never, but but, but was never invited to the after parties. He would never get the award uh, and until, like, you know, but then he's finally gotten his due. And people take him seriously, and actors want to work with him. So yeah, and like, and, and I have to like Spielberg's is amazing. But can can we also talk <clears throat> just about the writing of sure. this movie? Sure, because I think that's an amazing story too. Talk about a fast turnaround. I mean, Oof. we had first time screenwriter Liz Hanna actually wrote this as a spec script because it was her boyfriend who encouraged her to write the story of Kay Graham because she read Kay Graham's actual personal biography, fell in love with the person that Kay Graham is, and wrote a spec script. And then it was her her writing manager, Liz Hanna's writing manager, Mm -hmm. that leaked the script. And um, it, it got out, and there was a whole auction bidding war, and it was actually Sony Pictures... Amy Pascal, who who won the auction, called up Liz Hanna, and it was Amy Pascal who handed the script to Steven Spielberg. So that's just a fast turnaround in and of itself for just the story. And the story, this this script was number two on the blacklist. Yeah. So it was already well, and for being the first time screenwriter uh, for Liz Hanna, I mean that's an amazing story. Just yeah, to tell. and she was totally inspired by Graham. Um, uh, and, and Bradley, uh, you know, she read it was Bradley's memoir that actually sort of kind of she figured out her roadmap and how to proceed in writing the story with the two of them, and that is amazing. But also, you know, we also talk about <clears throat> the collaborative. Um, we talk about the collaborative effect, uh, process here. So she has this script, and then it's Spielberg who, when he comes on board. He was like, okay, this is fantastic, but I want somebody to... It was his suggestion to bring in Josh Singer. And then Singer uh, and... um, uh, I forget her name already. Um, Liz, like they worked together, and they had an amazing collaborative process in honing things down and where to... How to make this movie. And in a sense, they they made this love story-ish between... Liz and, and Bradley, and that 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 their relationship too is what holds I think this movie and story together, and and again it you know Spielberg's thinking ahead, so that's why he brings in Singer. He worked on Spotlight, perfect West Wing, Fifth, fifth Estate, fifth, yeah, and so you know the collaborative process here. Liz didn't have any hubris about herself. She didn't. Yeah, okay, let's work. Yeah, we're going to work together. And they both really come out adoring each other and respecting one another's craft. Yeah, and even Liz more. even said that, like, yeah, uh, she she's herself is not a 55-year-old woman in 1971, <laughs> but she does know what it's like to be a woman. She, she quotes, I know what it's like. Uh, I know what it's like to want the truth out there, and I care about morality and ethics. So you can tell that there were moments in this movie where they're questioning, do we do this for our company, Mm -hmm. even though we know it's against the law? Like, there was a lot of journalistic integrity here and there. You can Absolutely. And Singer, too, again, does his exhaustive research 
uh, to ensure details were right. And he consulted, Singer consulted a range of tech advisors. Uh, chief among them was Steve Cole. Uh, he was a Washington Post veteran. Um, so all of this just goes into the integrity of not only journalism, but, but the writing. If you're going to make this, you, you can't mess it up. And, and uh, they didn't. I think the two screenwriters work great together. Yep, I, I agree. And it, and it shows on screen. Speaking of uh, the finer details, this isn't necessarily the writing, but uh, all the phone conversations of Nixon were actually Nixon. His voice. That was his yeah. voice. That's his actual voice. Good, you know. Thank God he recorded himself so we can put that <laughs> in there. <laughs> you know? He, he wasn't thinking that far ahead, but one day I'd be in an Oscar nominated <laughs> movie. <laughs> At least my voice. So. But it also just shows like how much he was involved and he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. in making all these decisions. Yeah. Quite. Just- Quite scary indeed. Um, and the other interesting part was uh, the the Pentagon paper scenes were actually genuine props. Yes. No photocopies. There. Well, they were. They, it was the real stuff. Right. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, authenticity. That. Yeah, when you know when when I thought like from a production aspect, like I I, I would have been fine as an actor if you even had like you know fake copies of it, but. Um, the level of detail they put into the way everything worked, you mentioned just even the printing press and so forth. Right. It, it makes you feel in that time period, and we'll talk music, but even just the, the, the newsroom itself, um, just the typing. Well, there's that cacophony and the, 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 of, of the typing, which is, which is its own beat, uh, since we're talking about a newspaper. Uh, Tom Hanks, who is a... He's a typewriter aficionado. He loves collecting uh, old typewriters, believe it or not. In fact, he has a Twitter feed, Tom Hanks' typewriter, <laughs> and it tweets out. Um, and That's impossible. Uh, <laughs> so he, Hanks himself was like, it was amazing to walk into those newsroom scenes and hearing all those typewriters going. He goes... I would literally nap on the couch, falling asleep to those. We don't. The typewriter is a lot different than the computer keyboard today, and it was uh, anytime. Even when you see the uh, like the, the, the Richard Donner Superman, you know, when, when, mm. all you're listening so to good. is the is the typewriter sounds. Uh, of course, all the president's men. Uh, same thing. A typewriter does have its distinct. Even Darkest Hour, we had sure, yes, yeah, yeah, and 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 then there's the 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 ding of the bell, and there's that like you know, and I'd want to stab all my coworkers. Jerry Lewis, I'm trying to concentrate. I got him on deadline. Damn it! Jerry Lewis made a very famous comedic one man sketch about the the typing sounds. So uh, it's it's very fascinating. Because it doesn't exist anymore today. Even the even the sound of the printing press, and then mm-hmm. like moving the blocks, uh, you know, and then how they roll it off and they throw the the papers off the the, the, the back of the the, the truck. Uh, it, it, again, it harkens cool back to, to it. It's cool to and from a historic reference. 
I think it's great to take some people. And, what's that? Well, that's that's how we used to get our news a lot <laughs> from. Yeah. So. And the cool thing, you know, looking at the blacks were backwards because you're like, yes, yeah, yes. it would have to be backwards, <laughs> that's right. so it would yes. appear correct on on paper. Yeah, like even those details, like yeah. what? <laughs> and then like you know, talk about. Well, the blocking of it, too, they had to, you know, they they made the sections out where they should go and so forth. So without being (laughs) too overt about it, they gave you context of how a paper is actually made. And printed. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So I I did appreciate that. This, um, since we're on the subject, I know this kind of skips forward a little bit, so we'll we'll come back. But uh, John Williams, that was his biggest worry of, like, where the hell are you going to play some music? All you hear is just sounds everywhere. Like, where's the music going to go? He found it. (laughs) He found it, and he he had his 28th collaboration with Spielberg. So kudos to him. I noticed the music when... uh when, when like she just made the big decision, they're like, "Yes, it's a go," right? And, and then they're like, "All right, let's send it to the presses." And it was all just the the montage of them putting everything together. Music swell, mm-hmm. crescendo. It was brilliant. John Williams is the man. Legend, I mean, legend, you know, legend. It's their forty fourth year together as collaborators. Forty four years, and like you said, their 29th project together. Twenty eighth. Uh, according to press notes, the 29th, because if they, I believe, well, Sylvester's doing Rarely Player One. Um, yes, they but, no. So, you know, their work together, well, there's like a triple album of their work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get it on iTunes. Uh, if you like vinyl, uh, it's a beautiful box set. I don't have it on vinyl. But their music is beautiful together. And... <laughs> Come on, let's face it. John Williams has made uh, pretty much all of the, the best iconic movie scores that any movie lover or anybody, and even if you're not a movie lover, you can point to and know exactly what that score is. Uh, whether it's the Indiana Jones March, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, but even Star Wars, and that you know, like he has a whole right. career outside of yeah, Spielberg. Okay. Uh, absolutely. You know? Before he'd done movies like The Towering of Earth or Earthquake, or the the man's been around forever. Uh, he's done television like news scores. Uh, he was he was he was our beloved conductor of the Boston Pops for a while. He took over after the, the much beloved uh, Arthur Fiedler. The man, you know, he, the man works and his tapestry of orchestration. Is beautiful. If you listen to him enough, yes, he he does borrow from his own uh, scores. Uh, there is even some at the beginning of the opening of the post. But I was very surprised that the post didn't get nominated. I thought I thought the post would have gotten nominated over Star Wars, and Star Wars got nominated over the post. And I love the Last Jedi score as well, but I just felt. They were going to go with the more, uh, like, original. Like, this isn't based on his previous ones. Everybody knows Star Wars theme. But the put... It also depends how they were pushing it. I guess. But but the the way it seemed, too, though, was that he was going to be for the post. Um, So it was interesting. They could have nominated from both, but, but I think, if memory is correct, uh, he has the most nominations of anybody... 
ever for the Academy mm-hmm. for an Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. Even more than Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> Even more than Meryl Streep. All righty. Um, so going sort of back to it, um, one of the, so we, we we you talked about Marissa how you appreciate the colors and so forth. Interestingly enough, this is. Uh, his first movie since War of the Worlds that used an aspect ratio of 1.85 to 1, um, which is, to say overall, not as widescreen as it could have been. It's more, uh, I don't it's not squarish, obviously, but, but it's more. It's more of a box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, while that's a very technical jargon, what I liked about it is uh, you really got to see the newsroom. Like, it allowed you kind of to see both spaces fairly well and terms of width and height you know and i appreciate that it made it feel i don't know homey if i had to give it a word well it's it's it, i'm glad you brought that up t- because it was um a means of 70s filmmaking <laughs> and he they actually shot on 35 um, millimeter one of my favorite he uses films, so. right and and you know he wanted that that Early '70s style, and it was all about color, temperature, and and palette. Uh, and then it was about the writing, uh, or I should say, the lighting, uh, and and how the costumes were reflected. Um, you know, the movie, and I didn't really know notice this too too much, but the the pair being um, have the hardest time saying is uh, Janusz Kaminski is longtime now cinematographer and Spielberg, they focused on reflective surfaces. And they say that the movie is about reflecting back on our history. And Janus and Steven work together to try to highlight reflections, for example, in the ceiling of the newsroom or even a phone booth, which became part of the storytelling. Uh, he also uses my favorite technique is this, uh, what do they call it, like the dioptic lens so where the people in the foreground and the people in the background are all in focus, that you can see them sharply and clearly. Uh, another one of my, we had a picture up there which, which showed it a perfect example of that. You know, and it doesn't, when, when Spielberg does it, it doesn't come off as being a trick. No. It comes no. up as being organic to the story. Um, but it also shows, you know, to, get, to show everybody in focus shows that everybody in that newsroom is important. Sure. They play their their important roles. Yeah. Well, they were even, even the guy, the guy who's just randomly I don't know what article he's working on, but he gets that stack. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh boy, oh boy, what do I do? Mm-hmm. All right, and, and and just his timidness in walking in the, and they were busy, so he's like, all right, well, let me go to this guy first. Right. I think I have something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, okay, you got something. You got something. So I, a hundred percent, that played into it. Hey, Marissa, I wanted to, so when we were talking about the Spielberg documentary, one of the things that I, I believe we both found fascinating is the way that Spielberg, where he sets up a camera, like he knows where he wants the shot to be. And it was interesting coming off of Ready Player One, where you really do have to, where the camera sits in order, because you're going to put in the special effects. Uh, you know, Spielberg himself was like, you know, I relish the freedom of shooting a character-focused drama after a special effects pick. He goes, I could trade an intricate storyboarding that such films demand for more free form. More free form. In terms of where we put the camera, I kind of played it by year, which is really fun for me, and I love doing that. And if you watch that documentary, 
That's exactly, that's when he really does have a huge smile on his face. When he's able to put the camera where he wants it to get whatever shot angle. Uh, and you saw that here in this movie. Yeah, I think one of the the key shots that like really stuck with me in this film was when uh, we had Bradley and Kay. And uh, they were walking to that restaurant place. There was movement, mm. and then it literally follows them. They're sitting down. It goes in like a big semicircle kind of direction, and they're sitting down. And then they go off on a five-minute dialogue, and mm-hmm. it was all in one shot. And I think that was just it was amazing acting, just for like keeping up with the momentum of just the the camera movement. But from going from movement to sitting down and following the same story. I and think then you go, how does great. he not rehearse? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, he tells them what so to do, and then, we do it. and then we do it. And then we do it. I'm going to track you, yeah. Well, I also think rehearsing is also, div- you know, it can take on different meanings. It's oftentimes we talk about movies where they rehearsed for four months before shooting. It's like, sure. okay, well. Yeah, we did that. Listen, yeah. you guys know what to do. You guys study the characters, do your homework, come to set, and we'll shoot it. Right. Good? Yeah. Great. Sometimes, I mean, rehearsing is also for the technical aspects or blocking of the camera. Like, right, uh, right. like Mother, as crazy as a movie that was. Or, or Birdman, where, where right. it was all camera movements. Sometimes the rehearsals for the production side, not for the actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, uh, fa- another so fascinating aspect that I appreciated was as they were shooting this, it was being cut, and then two weeks after, they called a wrap. We have the movie edited. <laughs> Insane. Two weeks. That's better than our friend um, uh, who did all the money in the world. Why am I blanking on his name? You know Oh, who. yeah, Ridley Scott. That's it. Yeah, Ridley, uh, <laughs> Ridley Scott. Yeah. Well, That's insane. Go back and redo yeah. a lot of things. That's insane. I mean, that's I mean granted, I'm, I'm sure you know they, they made a couple of changes and, and, and stuff like that afterwards, but to have the overall movie be in its near-completed form just two weeks after finishing, that's, that's insane. Yeah. That shows, that shows everyone's hard work all around. Not, and I don't mean, you know, yes, in terms of the hours put in, but also just the mechanism of the beast, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it goes, Spielberg likes to use the same people, uh, I believe it was Michael Kahn. And this, uh, he collaborated for right. the first time, So, but yes, Michael Kahn, he's done all, yeah. so many of his movies, and, if not and, all. And then, you know, he even used uh, Rick Carter, who, who is his production designer. So all these people understand each other's language. And, and workflow. And workflow. Um, and, and again, I think... To Spielberg's point, where he said about coming off of Ready Player One, when you're when it's a more humanistic drama, I think for him it's like, whew, yeah, I don't have to worry too much about special effects here. I, I already have it in my head, and I don't have to worry too much about post about yeah. what I'm putting it in and how I can move a camera angle or something. So, what you see is what you get. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. So, absolutely, and. It just we've said it, but it, it, it deserves to be said again. Nine months from script to final cut. That's incredible, amazing. You know, just the lo- and 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 by the way, I could buy that if it was like a shitty movie. It's not a shitty movie. <laughs> no, that, that's the testament of it because uh, there's a lot of like crappy movies. Out here. This movie was made in a less than a month, shot, written, and edited. Yeah, well, it looks like that. <laughs> so. 
hundred percent, a hundred percent. Any other fun facts about the production side before we now shift gears into the legacy promotion and box office? Well, you know, again, I think Rick Carter uh, mm-hmm. in his production design and doing the Post Newsroom, um, they really used about ten photographs to guide him but they didn't really have photos that would show everything so it was partly an impression of what it would have been like and the first thing you see in the post newsroom at the time was vast transparent place it was completely open a hodgepodge of desks typewriters it was a time it's a time that doesn't we're, we're leading into an end of an error when you're talking about reporting and i think that they captured that. You got that mayhem of, of, a, of a newsroom. Uh, I felt as if I was there between the editing, the sound editing, obviously, uh, the sights and sounds of what was going on. Uh, and all these people just seemed very comfortable in their environment. So, um, you know, and they were mid, and, and he's working with mid century typewriters. Um, so this gentleman Burton scoured the earth for the Xerox machine that Daniel Ellsberg uses, <laughs> and oh yeah, that copy. <laughs> it was a Xerox nine fourteen, and uh, apparently, it just really wasn't that easy to find. And why would it be? Because <laughs> it's, no. so <laughs> it's so efficient. I've been watching this film, you know, like, and I uh, when he's actually copying the thing, I was like, wow, that's an old machine. An old- like, I literally had that thought. That's an old machine to get yeah. the copy button. It's so old, it copied in pencil. <laughs> So it's that's why it took months. That's why it took months. <laughs> yeah, I was that that patience. Like, thank the Lord, they actually had the patience to go through that because I didn't even have patience just watching it. Like, they they had some fast cuts around it and they showed the monotony of it all. But I was like, still, oh my god, oh my god. yeah. Right. I wanted. I like the build up though. Like the the, the one scene where uh, Odin Kirk when uh, he he his character goes to. Get the, the papers from Daniel, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's like so secretive in the hotel motel room. Mm-hmm. But the lighting was so harsh, and so you knew that like something was up. But all the papers spread out on the bed and all the uh, rooms, compared to now all the papers now being read spread out in the house, it was just like yeah. whoa, thousands <laughs> of pages. And talk about thousands. Talk about a continuity nightmare. They had to like match up because none of it was any kind of water like whatsoever. Again, that just goes to their tenacity and and what they had to do to pull it all together. I did like that scene uh, that was on the plane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's in the trailer, but it's it was it was no less entertaining watching it within the full scope of the movie. About buckles it up. Oh, yeah. what, what do you have in there? Secret documents. <laughs> you're like. Yeah. Um, and no one questions it. Nope. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know, listen, I think he played it off so well that it's, it, 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 she's like, okay, it's a joke, but, you know, obviously it's something important. Right. Anywho. All right. Well, The Post premiered at the Museum in Washington, D.C. on December 14th, and thereafter it began a limited release in December of twenty. 27th December 22nd, 2017. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that way it made it eligible for the Oscars. And then it got a wide release January 12th. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask you guys this. What do you guys think about Tom Hanks not wanting to come to the White House to for a special screening with Donald Trump? 
He didn't I want know the that's movie political. to be shown. I, I didn't know if we were going to go down that route. But. I just asked because, I mean, not. I don't want to get too political, but I think, hey, like, if, if, if what the message of the movie that you're trying to spread, you know, go to the person who you think would need it the most. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, but yeah. I don't know. Again, that's just my quick thought on I mean, it. But I don't, like, it's his prerogative whether he wants to see a movie with whoever he wants or not. I mean, like, oh, where they screen it? Yeah, yeah. Where and like, if he mentions like, I don't want to see it with Donald Trump, then fine. Okay, sure. I mean, it's his choice, choice, but right. exactly. But I mean, but was it screened for the White House at the White House? I'm surprised Meryl Streep didn't know. say that. She hates Trump. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I mean, not you know, uh, what do we know? But that it's, that would be the just... irony to me is Meryl Streep with Donald Trump making him watch her movie. Like yeah. that's that like do it. Yeah. That would have been made. That would have been great. That would be a great movie just in and of itself. How would that got put together? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would be that's that is another movie. Um, So, but you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting because when it opened in December twenty second, only nine theaters uh, it opened at. It came in at number (laughs) twenty. So uh, and it did five hundred and twenty six thousand dollars. So. Um, but currently, domestically, it's 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 near seventy, which is uh, you know nothing to sneeze at considering the movie. You know, it's not a superhero movie, and it is a little bit of history, right? Mm-hmm. So, but worldwide, we're also looking at uh, uh, over one hundred and seven million dollars, and I think we talked about Darkest Hours worldwide being one hundred and seven million dollars. So, obviously, I think well, there's it's a good niche. Then that people do want to see it. Um, it tells a nice. It tells a good part of history. I think it's multi-level, multi-faceted, uh, and you know, considering its production budget was about fifty million. And my guess, uh, Fox has probably dumped fifty plus million into. I mean, they're doing an Academy push, so that always costs money. Uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see how it pays off. Uh, in the end, bottom line right now is it's got the publicity of being well in today's world and being an Oscar nominated picture. Right, yeah. it's, they definitely were pushing for the awards because I remember when this movie came out limited because right. we're we're here in LA we we get it first, but it was already nominated for Golden Globes. True, and no one was able to see this movie. True, yet. and I'm like, True. come on, you can't already put mm. this. Up for awards just because it has Spielberg, Hanks, and uh-huh. Streep in it. Like, and and I just remember thinking, it's like we, no one has seen it yet because it's literally in no theaters. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, they're making the awards. Yeah. But watching it, I mean, yeah, it's a solid film, sure. Sure, and and through the performances, uh, I mean, you could see why it was. You could see why it was nominated. Will it for win sure. anything? Meh, we'll Not see. Really, no. But you know, it's. I, I just think that I, I hate to say that with a word it's an important movie because that means oh it's a movie you have to take medicine with. I think it's only important in the time frame of which it's now released. And they they made a conscious effort to get this movie out like now because of everything that's going on. They, there was no mistake on the release dates uh, for this movie and getting it out when it is. So. Uh, 
Now, can you look at this as a political movie? Sure, you can make almost anything political these days. But I think the important thing here is thematically. What did it mean to our future history from, from a politics side but from a journalistic side? Because if things had gone the other way, could you imagine how hard it would be to get that back, that political, that, that journalistic freedom back? Uh, well, it's <clears throat> here's the scarier notion, right? There's, there's a saying that I've heard oftentimes. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but um, there's a guy who goes through a city and he's like, wow, this city has 10,000 hidden cameras. Oh, yeah? Well, how many did you miss? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if they're supposed to be hidden and you were able to count 10,000, like, there's obviously way more than you ever thought. Right. And so where I'm drawing a parallel to that is um, the scary notion is that, okay, we caught this part of history, but what atrocities, if you want to call them that, right. are we not able to catch? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to just say in today's day and age and just make it all about today, but just in general and in from from then till now and ongoing. Yeah. And I do think this movie yes, it's a very it's very relevant to today's day and age, but th- again, the irony being I think it'll be relevant 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Like yeah. it's just uh, yeah, I agree. But 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 it it's it's not just for the press and journalism too. I I really think it's relevant today for 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 women empowerment. Uh, again, she was head of a newspaper. She was head of the Washington Post, which has a name for itself today. That paper, I, I didn't realize how dire straits that publication was back then. And to me, that was, wow, that's crazy that that paper could have gone away. Um, and, and, and it being led by a woman who made this, the, the, this seminal decision, um, I think is inspiring in today's in today's relevant market. So, and I'm not even sure. Like, I, I think when everything was coming together with the script, I'm sure, I know that's one of the reasons Spielberg picked it. Politics yeah. aside, you still have a really good story here too yeah. with Kathy. Green. And, I, and I think the third sort of takeaway is also, you know, yes, journalism, yes, women. But also in terms of a voice for the American people, when you look at the ideals of democracy, you're well, not supposed to have dictators and so forth. And I'm not saying we necessarily do, but there's supposed to be checks and balances. And the American people have a right to be heard and, and sort of what they want should go. And sometimes it doesn't always go that way. Mm-hmm. And they aren't heard. Right. Yeah. And I think just the the backdrop of the Vietnam War, which oh, was so controversial absolutely. in and of itself, but having the reveal of these papers kind of validating the fact that everyone's like, yeah, we shouldn't have gone to war mm-hmm. when you knew how terrible it was. Right. Um, like, and I think just that relevance, too, also has with people because people are still alive that affected them back yeah, then. Absolutely. So, And the people who are seeing this movie are the people who were alive back then mm-hmm. and I, are still now. Yeah, and I don't know about the audience makeup we, we, of, of the theater where you saw it. This I can say. Generally, it was over 30, 66% of the audience right. was over 35. I guarantee you I was the youngest person in my theater. The youngest. <clears throat> yeah, and I was, uh, I saw this uh, movie uh, in, uh, in, in East Greenbush. Uh, it was during a snowstorm. So it wasn't overly crowded, but the crowd that was in there... Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a bit older. Um, but I will say this. As walking out, 
all I heard around me. That was a great movie, wasn't it? Wasn't that amazing how they showed papers being done? Wasn't that an amazing movie? And I heard that multiple times because coming out with a I don't know, dozen or so people that that made it out that night. Uh, so, so that was like I was like, okay, so it wasn't just me. I, I really enjoyed this too, and I was like, yeah, that was that was a good movie. Well, it was an so, A on Cinema Score, eighty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, with three hundred and one reviews as of now, or last mm-hmm. I checked. And you know, people overall liked it. The great direction from Spielberg, great ensemble cast, because it is you know as much as Hanks and, and Streep are getting praise for it. To me, it's an ensemble. It, it's an orchestra of people. Even the two guys that play the lawyers. <laughs> you know. Fake Dave, Matt Damon. <laughs> right? I mean, he's a little chubby Matt Damon. I so. thought the same thing. Because he's also in the uh, US, uh, USS Callister episode of Black Mirror. And I was like, he's, he sounds terrible. He's the poor man's version of Black Matt Damon. Yeah, he was in, uh, he, he was in Battles, Battleship, too. I think mm. that so. makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of people are are liking it, and obviously nominated tons um, in various categories. So we'll see what happens. And, and much like Darkest Hours too, I think ultimately it's a crowd pleaser. You know, it's a, it's a movie that people will walk away, and it's a it's a it's a crowd pleasing movie, which hell. I'm all for that <laughs> in this day and age. Uh, I like to come out of a movie feeling pretty good. Go see about Paddington too. Go see Paddington too. That's a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> telling you for sure. So, yeah, and then you know, I know you like quotes, Bill. Sure. So I have a, uh, uh, this one comes from Catherine Graham, where she says, "You know, some people enjoy competition and dust ups, and I wish I did, but I don't. But once you have started down a path, then I think you have to move forward. You can't give up." And that's uh, pretty much what this movie is ultimately about. Those are great words to end on. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to us and and hearing our thoughts. As always, you can comment. Let us know your opinion. And furthermore, if you haven't already done so, what are you doing? Subscribe. That way you get all the episodes. You don't have to listen to all of them. I'm sure you don't see all the movies we cover. But, hey. When we cover a movie that you have seen, check us out. Or, you know, even in the future, you don't have to go rush to the movie theater necessarily, although we do encourage it. Check it out when you have seen it. Um, And furthermore, uh, the biggest thing you guys can do for us is spread the joy that we're out here doing what we do. So if you have cinephile friends, let them know we're out here. And you know what? Let them check it out. Maybe they like us. Maybe they don't. But at least they know about us. Uh, in the meantime, where can people interact with you, Marissa? Everyone can follow me ever at Serafini TV. And Dimitri? At DMovies1701. Look at that. That's not the year he was born. <laughs> no, but although people have commented that it could be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'm at Phil Svitek. We are on at the Popcorn Talk. Uh, that's the network. And, and of course, we are Anatomy and Movie. Thank you guys as always. Check out all the great shows we've done in the past, and we will continue to do great episodes moving forward. In fact, uh, Marissa and I, just today, we will be covering Call Me By Your Name. My name is Phil. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, we've got other stuff in the works. Uh, Black Panther? Well, we got Black Panther. We've got uh, three billboards three still billboards. to go. So, so lots of stuff for us to still cover, both new and kind of in the Oscar realm of things that have come out already. Best picture films. Yes. Yes. 
So lots to talk about. Uh, thank you guys as always. We'll see you next time on another Anatomy of a Movie. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.